morning we'll we'll sing a glorious I think back to what Christ has done for us on the cross and look forward uh, to when he returns for believers uh, so we'll sing glorious day <clears throat> Oh, 
day where Jesus died and paid for our sins on the cross and we look forward to, especially as we are in our study of Matthew, to that glorious day when Jesus will return and make all things right. Now let's go ahead and take a few minutes of fellowship uh, before we get to the sermon.
All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, and we'll continue our teaching through the, the uh, Olivet Discourse as Jesus is teaching on, on what's going to happen in the end of the, end of the world and a second coming. And as we've been going through this, and we've been in it for, for quite a while, uh, I think, and maybe you guys would disagree with me, but this is just what I think as I've been going through it. I think this has been an incredibly interesting study. I think it's good for us to see the details of what's going to happen in the end of the age or the end of the world right before Jesus returns. I think the, the specifics of this, and Jesus does get very specific in what's going to happen, and I, I just sit and I learn it, and I, I, I think it's so interesting for us to go through it, and I hope you guys have felt the same way. But I think it's not just interesting, I think this is as relevant as any passage that we could be studying at the time that we're living in right now. We look at these things and we know that we are closer to these things happening than any generation has ever been in the history of the world. And as we study these things, it's just becoming very clear and, and obvious to us that we're headed in this direction. And when we do that, here's the, the last thing I'll say before we get started, is this has been incredibly motivating for me. I think that that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to do here, not just to, to teach us something and to, to fill our minds with details about what's going to happen in the end. He wants us to be motivated that as these days approach, we've got to get active and do something. We can't just sit around and, and wait. We've got to be in, in, with a sense of urgency in how we live our lives. So I want to show you that today. I think that these things ought to teach us to live differently than what we do. So the title of the sermon today, and this, these verses in verses 16 through 28, will show us living in the last days. I want to show you how, how we ought to be living in the last days. And not just the last days, but the very last days. So let's stand together and we'll look at living in the last days. And I want to read these verses Verses 16 through 28, and, and we stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God, and, and I love His Word and, and the richness of it, but we'll start in verse 15 and read all the way down through verse 28, and you guys may think we're going to be here forever. Uh, for the past few weeks, I've been preaching one verse at a time, and now we're going to look at 12. Uh, good luck. I mean, let's, let's pray for me as we go through these. Starting in verse 15, the Word of God says, And when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So at that moment, when that happens, verse 16, then let him which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes or his coat. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight not be in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For when that happens, then shall be great tribulation, such as was, was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there shall be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show you great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they would deceive even the very elect. Behold, I've told you before. Wherefore if they shall say unto you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles will be gathered together. This is a great passage for us to study today. So let's pray together and we'll look at living in the last days. Father, we thank you for your word. And these are very detailed, specific verses here describing what's going to happen in the very last days of the world. 
And God, I think this should give us some motivation, a sense of urgency in how we live our lives. And I pray that that's what this sermon will do today. I want to inform, I want there to be uh, information that we give and that we learn and we understand these things. But God, I want this to go from our minds to our hearts, that it will stir us up to live differently in these last days that we're living in. So God, stir our hearts and, and move us to action. Don't let us be a church that just sits and fills our minds, but that we get busy doing what you would have us to do. God, let that be what your word does today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There was a survey conducted not too long ago asking people, this was during the, again, during the COVID era, that was asking people, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end in a week? And many thousands of people answered this online survey, and it, and it makes you think, if you only had one week to live, if you knew you was going to die next Sunday, what would you do from now until then? How would you spend your time? It makes you think, and all of us should be thinking about what's the one or two things that we would do. And, and the answer is, I don't think they'll surprise you because this was, a, again, a survey that was on the internet, so you're going to get a lot of crazy answers. But I'm going to give you four of them, and it won't surprise you what people said. Number one, and this was a popular one, that said, throw a party and dance while the world ends. Uh, that was the most popular one. And then second, it would say, go on a trip and spend every bit of my money because who needs the money in the bank if I'm going to die in a week? Number three was do something risky. And it didn't say really what it was, but there were some people that said jump out of an airplane or go to Walmart at the first of the month. Uh, <laughs> get out of your house and don't wear a mask, that kind of thing. And number four said eat whatever I want. One commenter said, uh, I want to die happy and fat. <laughs> so you see there that if you had a week to live, if your time was short and it was running out, that all these people are going to do something differently than what they were doing on a normal basis. They're going to start living their life in a different way. That knowing the end is near should motivate you to do something different, to change, change your life just a little bit. And all of you would say that. I doubt anybody would sit here and say, if I knew I had a week to live, I'd just keep doing what I'm always doing. I'd sit and watch something on TV, and I, I would keep, keep on, on dieting and running and do nothing dangerous at all and, and keep saving money in the bank. I wouldn't do anything different. No, knowing the time is near motivates us to do something just a little bit different. It changes how we live right now. It's highly motivating to know that you've got a, a very short time left in life. And that's what Jesus is doing here. In Matthew 24, they've asked Him in verse, verses, verse 3, give us a sign of when the end will be near. When, when the world is going to end, show us when we'll know that it's getting close to the end. So Jesus, He, he gives them not one sign, but six general signs. Verses 4-14. through 14. He says this is kind of the things that, that will happen throughout the ages. It isn't a, a specific sign, but all these things will be characteristic of, of the, the, the age until I come back. So verses 4-14 through 14 are just these general signs. And then he gets to the end of verse 14. And if you've not been with us, here's where he says, here's where you'll know it's, it's close to the end. Here you'll know that time is running out. Here's where you'll know that the end is near. At the end of verse 14 he says... Then shall the end come. So he says, here it is. This is how you'll know. And verse 15, I said it last week, we, we preached on this verse. This verse is the trigger point. This is the event that, that when you see this, whatever generation sees this event, you'll know that you're on the very end of the world. This abomination of desolation. This event. So what he's saying is, circle verse 15, watch for verse 15, you'll see a person, the Antichrist, a place in Jerusalem, and you'll see an act in the abomination that makes desolate. 
Something repulsive will take place in verse 15. And you'll know when you see that. Everybody will know this takes place. And when you see that, you'll need to do verse 16. When you see that the end is near, that's verse 15. Now is the time for action. And verses 16 through 28 is, here's what you do. Here's how you live differently, knowing that the end is, and you get to verse 15, and, and it's, it's really, I think it's halfway through the, the tribulation, and you go from general tribulation, which isn't all that bad, to a great tribulation, that's the worst time that's ever been. So you move into that time in verse 15, and he's saying, you may have just a three and a half years left in the entire world. Here's what you are to do. For that generation living in that time, here's the action that you take. This is in verses 16 through 28, the instructions for the end. I almost titled the sermon that, the instructions for the end. What to do in the very last days of the world. So starting in verse 16, we'll work our way through it. I want to show you how to live in the last days, the very last days. And these verses are very detailed. I mean, down to whether you take your coat with you or not. These verses are very unusual. I mean, you, you, we'll read through, maybe when we read through just a second ago, you guys are thinking, what on earth is this saying? But I think it's very important and very practical for all of us to hear these instructions for the last days. So let's look at it. How to live in the last days. I'm going to give you three points as I work our way through this. I want to start with a description of the last days. He gives us a description of what the last days, and not just the last days, but the very last days, the, the, the last days in the history of the world. Here's a description of what it'll be like. First of all, he says it'll be a dangerous time. Look how dangerous it'll be. He says in verse 16 that when you see verse 15, and that's what this is, when, when verse 15 happens, when you see the abomination of desolation, it will become a, a code red warning. That when you see that, it'll be time for you to do something. You're going to have to move to action. There'll be no time to, to slow down. You're going to have to do something very quickly. That it'll, it'll trigger such dangerous times that you'll have to run for the hills. That's what it says. Verse 16. That verse 15, the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist stands in, in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God and tells everybody they have to worship him, will trigger the worst time in history. It'll be so dangerous that he, he says, run for the hills. Flee. That way, that word there, he says, then let them which be in Judea Flee, that word is fuego, become a fugitive of the law. That's what the word is. This is a sign that it's about to go down, so get out of town. He says run to the mountains, verse 16. Evacuate, leave Judea. That's for the people in, in Judea, leave Judea. And, and if you're in Norton, you run to, to, to the high knob. Get out of here. Go hide somewhere. And then it says don't pack anything. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and, and pack any of his clothes. Just leave. That's how bad it's going to be. It's going to be so dangerous. Don't even pack your clothes. Just take what's on your body. Verse 17, or verse 18. If you're out in the field, don't go back and get your coat that you've taken off. Verse 19. You better hope and pray you're not pregnant or have little kids at this time. Because they'll slow you down. Have you ever tried to run with kids? Have you ever tried, have you ever seen a, a pregnant woman run? That's what it's saying here. You're going to have to run so fast, you won't even want kids to be slowing you down. 
I mean, Steph's constantly got five kids all around her. And if we're trying to run somewhere, she's always dragging them and, and bags and things. And I'm always way out in front. Why can't you run so faster than that? That's what it's saying here. You, you don't want to have kids at this time. It's going to be so bad. You won't want nothing to slow you down. Pray it's not in winter because if it's winter time, even in Judea, it, it would get cold and rainy at that time and it'll slow down your travel. You don't want to slow down. Pray it's not on the Sabbath because they locked the city down tight on the Sabbath. You won't be able to get out. You say, what does all this mean? Why, why are we running? It shows just how dangerous these days will be for, for believers. For Christians, for those who refuse to bow to the Antichrist in verse 15, for those who refuse the mark, for those who won't compromise, it'll be so dangerous for them that if they don't run, they'll die. Luke 21 says that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. That there will be military that will be after people who won't bow. There will be police after people who will not take the mark of the beast. There, there will be uh, the government that will be all out to get anybody who will not comply with the Antichrist. Satan has taken over at this time and all of his forces and all of hell is out to get any believers. So he's saying here, when you see this, all hell is going loose here. You need to get out of town. Go hide. It'll be so bad it would be impossible for any Christian to survive. So he says flee. No more stay and preach. That's over. There's no more. Get out of town. This is the extreme nature of what's taking place. That he says leave. Run. It's dangerous now in our world for Christians. And becoming more and more so as we approach these days. But these days, in the last days, the very last days, it will be so bad for Christians, it will be impossible for you to survive without running. So he says it will be dangerous. Run. And then he says it will be deceptive. Look what it says in verse 23. Then, as I said, it's, it's going to be a dangerous time, and it's, it's going to be a deceptive time. And all these things, it's, it's dangerous for us now. And it's deceptive now, but it's just going to escalate and become the worst that you'll ever see. Watch this, it'll be deceptive. Look what it says in verse 23. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there is Christ, don't, don't believe it. So there will arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show you great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible that even deceive the, the very elect, Behold, I've told you before. He just goes on. There's going to be people there to deceive at this time. It's going to be awful and terrible. Christians get this, will be in hiding. Believers will be scared to death. He says, run to the hills. You're going to be hiding in caves in the hills. Christians will be looking for answers. And people in danger are very easily deceived. People that are scared easily fall for lies. So they're going to be in the mountains. And he says, don't listen to them. Don't believe it. Don't fall for it. Don't be lured in by it. Uh, what he's saying there is, there's going to be people trying to lure you out of your hiding by saying, Christ has come back. And Christ is here. And you can come see Him now. Come on out of your, your hiding place. We want it, It's okay. It'll be fine. And he says, don't you dare believe that. They're lying to you. They're trying to, to get you out of hiding so they can kill you. Don't believe it. You'll know when he comes back, verse 27, for as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You won't miss it. So don't believe it when they say, I've come back. This will be a time of great deception. 
It'll be convincing. The Antichrist will have a spell over the entire world. And they'll do whatever he says. Be at his bidding. And many will fall for it. It says here, keep looking at it. They'll show arise false Christs in verse 24. And false prophets. And they'll show great signs and great wonders. The Antichrist will have promoters. He'll have preachers. He'll have great power. You get that. There'll be, there'll be promoters in that. You'll see billboards on the road that say, hey, you need to bow before the Antichrist. Get the mark. There'll be commercials on TV saying, get, get the mark. And you'll, have, you'll have doctors and you'll have preachers and you'll have all these different government officials saying, take the mark. You need to bow to the Antichrist. It's, it's dangerous if you don't. You'll have family members and friends saying, get the mark. Do it. And everybody will be, be deceived. He'll have promoters. He'll have preachers. He'll have power. He'll be persuasive. We live in a very deceptive time now and people are falling for things left and right. But this will be an uncomparable time of deception. And it'll be deadly time. I said that. We've got dangerous time, deceptive time. Deadly. Look, look down to verse 28. It says, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will, will the eagles be gathered together. I think that verse is going on mine and Steph's Christmas cards this year. <laughs> Just wait till you get it. <laughs> you say, what does that mean? It says, basically a saying that says, when you see vultures and they're flying around in the sky, you know something dead is in the road. They're circling something about to eat it. And that's what this verse is saying. When you see something, you see some, some vultures in the sky, there's something dead, there's something decaying, there's something rotten laying down in, in the road. And that's what he's saying. The, the world will be so bad, it'll be so full of death and decay and depravity and rottenness and corruption and wickedness that the world will be like a, a rotten carcass in the road. And it'll be like vultures circling around. There'll literally be dead bodies in the streets. Sin will run rampant. It'll be like a dead carcass in the road. Times are bad now. Are we not moving in that direction? Our world stinks right now. Buzzards may be circling right now around our world. But at this time, it'll be worse than anything you could ever imagine. It'll be dangerous. It'll be deceptive. It'll be deadly. And I want you to look at verse 21. And I just went through this just describing it. Verse 21 says it'll be a dreadful time. It says in, in verse 21, look at it, it says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. That is a summary statement of just how bad these days will be. Great tribulation, great trouble, so bad, so out of this world that nothing that has ever happened and nothing that will ever happen will be anything close to what this will be. You think of all the bad things that's ever happened in the world. You can go back to the flood with Noah as, as it destroyed the whole world in, in, in the worst time that we could ever imagine. You can think about the Holocaust during World War II. You add all the bad things that's ever happened in our world up and it still doesn't reach as high as how bad this time's going to be. It will be hell on earth. Do you see that? For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time nor ever shall be. This is where the world is headed and it's headed there fast. This is, not our world is going to get better, but this is our world is getting worse and much, much worse every single day. 
And nobody can stop it and nobody can delay it. Our world is a world of misery and darkness even today. Where it's in, the world hates Christ, they hate Christians, they hate His Word. It's quickly moving in that direction. Our world is quickly becoming a dangerous place, a deceptive place, a, a deadly place. And it's a dreadful place. And it's nothing compared to what it will be. It's going to keep snowballing until it gets there. This is a description of our day, but really of the last days. You say, that's terrible. I know you guys are sitting there and you're eating this up, right? You're loving it. You're like, Josh, we came here to church for you to cheer us up. This is where we're going. I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything's fine when it's not fine. This is, this is how the world is turning. This is, this is where it's going. And there's no politician who can promise you anything that's going to change the direction that the world is going. So that's a description of the last days. Let me give you, and I'm going to give you something positive here, the protection in the last days. And this is my favorite part of this passage, the protection in the last days. I want to show you that in the middle of all that, a, a dangerous, deceptive, deadly, dreadful time that God takes care of his people. Watch this. I want you to see this. Look at verse 22. And I know we're just, I'm all over the place with this passage, but it's all there. Verse 22. And it says, and accept those days. You say, what days? Verse 22. Accept those days. Those are the, the days that I just got done talking about. The, the dangerous days, the dreadful days, the deceptive days, and the deadly days. Those days, it says in verse 22, except those days should be shortened. I think these are the last days, the worst days that, that, that ever will be, except those days be shortened. The last days will be so bad, they'll be so dangerous, so deceptive, that nobody would survive it, nobody would make it, not even God's own people, if God didn't do something. Look what it says. And except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved, nobody in the world would survive it. Even the elect, even God's own people, even His chosen ones would not survive it. That's how bad it'll be. But for the elect's sake, God does something. And what does he do? This is so good. It says he shortens the days. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And there's two options you get for what this means. It could mean that God limits the amount of days. That means he's going to say, this is going to take place for three and a half years, 1260 days. So he's saying, God could say, three and a half years, 1260 days, I'm going to cut it off right there and it'll go no more. If it went beyond three and a half years, everybody, even the elect would die. That's one way you could look at it. That God gave Satan and the Antichrist a, a short amount of time to do as, as bad as they could do. And then he says, I'm cutting it off and no more. That, that's one way. I like this next one. That God actually limits the daylight. That God limits how long uh, the sun is out in the day. The length of a day. That, that, that God will say, I'm going to give them less daylight so that the Antichrist and his minions can't find my people. And you could read this in Revelation 6, it says that the days get shorter. In Revelation 8, the days get even shorter. In Revelation 10, it get, or 16, it gets even shorter to the point where you get to the very end, there is no daylight at all. The sun is gone. It's went dark. I think God is shortening the amount of sunlight in a day so that they can't go out in the daylight and find His people who are in hiding. 
I think he's protecting his people. Have you ever played hide and go seek in the daytime? It's a whole lot easier to find somebody than it is if it's dark. And they're out looking for, and they're trying to kill, and they're pursuing, and the military, and the the government, and the the police are all out to get God's people. And he says, you know what? I'm going to cut the day short so you can't find them. Watch this. I want you to to turn with me to Revelation. You say, Josh, I'm not buying it. (laughs) You can have your opinion on it, and you can be dead wrong. Revelation 12. Listen to this. This is so good. Verse 7. I don't have to read verses 7 through 12, but I want to. Verses 7 through 12 don't really have a whole lot to do with what I want to say, but I like them. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and, and his angels. And prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. That's all the names you need right there for Satan. The great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. And he was a deceiver of the whole world. And he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. There was a battle in heaven, and God cast them out. And when God cast them out, he says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, there's cheering going on, they're gone. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses him before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the habits of the earth and of the sea, and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that his time is short. Are you, are you with me on that? Cast him down, and he's now roaming the earth, seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. And it says, woe unto you that are on the earth, because now he knows his time is short, and he's out to get some people. Verse 13, and the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he was cast into the earth, and he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And you can read the first half of chapter 12. The woman is Israel and the man-child is Christ. That's God's people, the woman. And it says in verse 14, and, the wo- and, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness or run into hiding, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. That God protects the woman, his people, for three and a half years. That they go out into the wilderness, they go into the, we say flee into the mountains, and God watches over them and protects them. And it even says here that he he nourishes them, that he feeds them. I mean, food can't come to them and hide. He may even give them manna from heaven for three and a half years that nobody can touch them. I mean, the whole world is after God's people. I mean, it says the devil and the Antichrist and the police and military and government, Satan's throwing every weapon that he has at God's people and none of it touches He's protecting his people. Watch this. And they say, I don't have time to get into it. They say there's a place called Petra in Israel, which is a, they say that's where that God will protect them and hide them. You can Google it. Don't do it now. 
P-E-T-R-A. Do it later, not now. It says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. And he might cause her to be carried away in the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth. He's angry. I can't get them. They're protected. And he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Those which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's after God's people and he can't touch them. That God is hiding them somewhere in a mountain or in the wilderness and God is nourishing them and, and taking care of them and, and limiting the amount of, of light in a day so they, they can't be found. God is protecting His people. Either way, and this, this is the main point, that God will protect His elect. I, I would write that down. I mean, that, that's, that's a great point. It, whichever way, three and a half years, He's going to limit the years or the amount of daylight. Either way, God always takes care of His people. He stops at 1260 days and says, no more, I'm protecting my people. Or He limits the amount of daylight that, that happens in a day. Either way, He's protecting His people. That's what it says here. This is an out of this world truth that is found in verse 22. That no matter how bad the world gets, God will move heaven and earth to protect His elect. That's an application for us today. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And we can sit here and shake and tremble and, and be concerned and worried. But we know that God will move heaven and earth to protect His people. Everything God does revolves around His care for His people. We are in good hands that the devil and the Antichrist and all the forces of hell can throw the worst that it has at us, but it can't touch us as long as God doesn't allow it. That's great truth. I can give you another one. This is the protection in the last days that he protects them, takes care of them, and now he keeps them. Watch this. Look at verse 24. And I want, to show, I want to show you that same word. It says, for the elect's sake, in verse 22, that elect would be God's chosen people. And then in verse 24, he says it again. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. There's that word again. The deception will be so bad in those days, it will be so intense and so convincing in so much that to the extreme that if it were possible, it would deceive even God's own people. That they would fall for it too. But it says here, this is so good, it is impossible to deceive God's people. There's no way. That's what it says. And it calls us the elect here twice. He doesn't call us believers. And I, and I said, there, why would he say elect and not believers? Why would he say elect and not those who, who like he says in Revelation, keep the, the commandments of God and, and follow Christ? He tells us that we're the elect here because this is based on his choice of me and not my choice of him. This is based on His hold of me and not my hold of Him. And that's what we need to learn in these, in these last days is that, that it's not my faith that holds on to Him because my hold of, of Christ is, is so weak and, and day to day I struggle. It, it's not His, and my hold on Him. It's His hold on me that He will never let go of us. We are His. Elect from the foundation of the world, eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. God has a hold on His people. He keeps us. We're secure. We're safe. 
I want to take you to another, another verse. I hope you guys are with me in this. John chapter 10. We're safe. I, I like that. John 10, 5. It says, And a stranger, talking about his people, and a stranger, they will, will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. God's sheep will not follow deceivers. John 10, 25. Let's just keep. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We are safe and secure in the hands of God. He keeps us. I like that. These two things. is He, he takes care of the elect. He watches over and He protects and He won't let anything touch us. And then He keeps the elect. That we we're safe in His hands. The world may reject me, but God chose me. The world may persecute me, but God protects me. The world may abandon me, but God keeps me. This is important truth for us to know. In the last days, we need to know the truth of eternal security. Nevermore will you need to know that I'm in the hands of God and nothing can touch me unless God allows it to touch me. That's great truth. More needed now than ever. That I am His elect and in His hands, I am secure. He holds me fast. In these days, you need to learn that. We need to learn that. The deeper we go in the Bible today, the stronger we'll stand tomorrow. Yeah. Truth like this, the election of God, the eternal security of the believer, is what will put steel in our spines when the days get bad. Knowing I am the elect of God from the foundation of the world takes me from being a question mark that's been over to an exclamation point that's standing firm. We need to know these truths. This is what we need to hear in the last days. This is what we need to hear today. We need to know where we stand. That on Christ the solid rock I stand and all other ground is, is shifting sand. We need to know that today. We need to be taught these things today. That God will protect His elect. That God takes care of His people. No matter how bad it gets, whether it's sinful or political or, or it's a, a, a sickness that's out there, whatever we have that, that, that they're throwing at us, we are safe in the hands of the One who bled for us on the cross. That's good news. That God protects us in the last days. Let me move to the third point and I'll close. <laughs> Could be 30 more minutes. <laughs> I've showed you the description of the last days. I've showed you the protection in the last days. Now I want to show you the action that we need to take in the last days. The action. It says at the very, verse 15, it says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Which tells me that it's not just that we know this, but there's something we need to do with this. There's something you need to do, not just... Sometime, 
But there's something in this passage we need to do today. Now. No waiting. Urgency. I'm going to give you two things to do today. Now. Right now. In the days we're living in today. Number one, I want you to beware. He says in verse 23, and it's back to the deception. He says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here's Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they, just, they, they could deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before. And he's saying that. I've told you repeatedly this. I, I've told you over and over and over and over. And I felt like over the last three years in Matthew that he's always, we'll do a chapter and, and, and then the next chapter it'll be here. This is going to happen. This is coming. And there'll be another chapter. And, and then you'll say, okay, I want you to watch for this. Watch for this. Pay, pay attention to this. It's like Jesus is always repeating himself. He's like a parent talking to a, a, his boys. I told you yesterday to clean your room. And then the next day, I told you two days in a row. Why won't you listen to me? That's what Jesus is saying here. I've told you over and over and over. Matthew 7, Matthew 15, Matthew 16, Matthew 23, Matthew 24, Matthew 25. He's trying to get a point across to us that deceptive days are coming and we need to beware of it. It's coming. Watch out. Understand. Be in the know. Know some things. Open your eyes. Don't get caught with your, your head in the, in the sand while the world is being deceived. Don't be duped. Don't be naive. Don't think it can't happen to you. Second Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things, beware lest ye also be led away in the air of the wicked. Beware is what he says. Watch out. This is for us today, right now. Don't be caught unaware. Open your eyes. I, I wish we could. I, I could. That, that would be the main point of this sermon. That I would get out to the whole world. Open your eyes and see what's going on all around you. Beware. Understand. Do you not see? Do you not have eyes to see? I've said it repeatedly. I'm, I'm repeating myself like Jesus does. Look at what's happening in our world. Look at it. How fast things are happening. And yet, the church continues on like nothing has changed. And Christians are not, we of all people ought to be seeing it, understanding it, warning people about it. But we go on like nothing's changed. Don't be caught with your head in the sand. Do you know that today there are preachers that will stand up and say, lo, here is Christ, and there is Christ, and the Christ they're preaching is nothing like the Christ of the Bible? Amen. And do you know that most Christians can't even tell the difference between the Christ they're preaching and the Christ of the Bible? Right. And they're being lured and they're being duped into this Jesus that is nothing like the Jesus of the Bible? That even in our area, there are preachers that are standing up and they're preaching, here's Christ and there's Christ and this is what Christ is like and Christ would do this and Christ would do that and Christ would say this and Christ would do this. It's all over the place. You've got politicians that will stand up and say, you know, Jesus would do this and Jesus would do that and, and, and Christians are, are standing around saying, you know what, maybe, maybe He would. They don't know the difference between the cross that's being preached in the world today and the cross of the Bible. We've got to know these things and be beware of these things. 
So you know what we need today more than anything? We don't need a concert in church. We don't need a concert and a devotion in church. This is what you get in most places. We need a Bible. We need a man that will stand and open up the Bible and teach it and walk us through these things and not hold back and be bold and be confident and not be a coward in the last days. But we'll stand and say, here's what the, the thus saith the Word of God and, and, and tell people and warn people of what's taking place all around us. We don't need sheepish preachers. <laughs> we need preachers that will stand up and, and shout it out, the truth. You know what you need? You need not just a, a preacher, but a teacher. I get that. People say, oh, it's, it's boring. You sit and preach for an hour? <laughs> and you just go verse by verse through a passage? We're entertaining ourselves to death. You don't need entertainment. We need to be taught what's, what's happening in our world today. Beware of these things. We need to open up our Bibles more than what we're doing. We need to, to be in church. Uh, Hebrews says that. Even more so as that day. The last day's approach. You need to be in church. You need to be around God's people. You need to be open up your Bible. We need to be more active in church than anywhere else in the last days. But we're being deceived. We're being duped. We're spending more time outside the church. People are leaving the church. We need to be here. We need to be Learning. We need to be understanding. We need to be knowing. We need to, to beware of these things. I have people all the time that will message me and say, I'm looking for a church that will teach me the Bible. Or they'll message me and say, what does the Bible say about this? Or what does the Bible say about that? People are looking for answers. We need to beware. Let me give you another one. Not just beware, but be ready. I, mean, I think this is the whole point of the passage. Be ready. Verse 16, we just read it. When you see it, flee, run. I mean, that's action. I mean, you need to be, you need to have your backs packed. We've talked about birth pains throughout this passage. I mean, that's a, when, when it got close, Steph packed a bag. I mean, she had a bag sitting at the door, ready, ready to go with, with Hallie. And I'm sitting there thinking, should I pack a bag? I'm just going to go as I am, you know. I mean, she, had, she, she looked like she was going to Florida. And I had my phone charger. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> what else do I need? <laughs> I mean, what, you know. I said, what do you got a backpack for? She said, it could happen at any time. I got to be ready that if something happens in the middle of the night, I can grab my bag and go. And I'm like, well, I got my charger. <laughs> I'm ready. You gotta be on the spot with this. That's what it's saying. You gotta be, I mean, just, just keep reading. It, when this happens, flee to the mountains. When this happens and you're on the housetop, don't even go down and pack your bags. Jump off your house and take off. Neither of which is in the, if you're in the field, don't go back and get your coat because you're gonna take your coat off. If it gets hot, you're gonna lay it to the side. You're gonna go out and work. When you see this take place, don't go grab your jacket. Leave it and go. Hope you don't have kids. I'm glad we're gonna be raptured out of here before this because Steph wouldn't make it. I'd have my phone charger and she'd be packing for the kids. <laughs> be in a cave somewhere. We're looking to plug it in. <laughs> I mean, you, you see that. And it says, boy, it's not in winter or Sabbath day. So he's saying this is something you've got to do fast. 
There's an urgency about this passage. I think that's the main point. You've got to be ready at a moment's notice to take off. There's a, a now about these verses. There's a today about these verses. There's a, a don't wait about these verses. There's a do this before it's too late. There's a live with a sense of urgency. It could happen today. That's what this is. And there's not a drop of urgency in the church today. Not a drop. And that's even me. I think we've got to plan for 50 years. But I think we've got to live like five minutes. Amen. We think it's going to keep going on and on and on. But there's urgency here. There's things for us to do here. We need to live like we've got seven days left. We need to live like we've got seven minutes left. We need to preach like this is the last sermon I'll ever preach. We need to do something today like we know tomorrow won't be here. That's what this is saying. There's, there's an urgency as we see the last days approaching. What are you going to do? And, and I, I think this is for us that, that we ought to right now. Don't wait till tomorrow to live for Christ. Live for Christ today. Don't say, I'm going to do it then, or I'm going to put it off till later. Do it right now. Today is the day to live for Christ. Today is not the day for us to run to the mountains and hide and be in hiding out somewhere, acting like, like we, we just be away from the world and, 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 and we're going to not talk to anybody, not share anything. Now's not the time to hide or to flee. Now is the time for the church to stand out and to speak up louder than we ever have. Before Jesus comes and takes us out, we've got to use our big boy voices to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be talking to our loved ones and our, and our neighbors and our friends and our family. We've got to be more active right now than we've ever been. Know the last days are approaching us and get busy now. That's what this is. We've got to, we've got to raise our flag as Christians. Everybody else is raising their flags. Do you get that? And Christians aren't. It's time for us to raise the Christian flag and to wave it proudly for the world to see. Amen. It's time for us to be bold. It's time for us to hold it high. It's time for us to, to, to announce the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's dying and lost. That's what we need to be doing. With boldness and without compromise. That's what I want to do in the last days. I want to live for Christ in the last days. And I want you to do it too. With boldness. Live for Christ now. Please. Your kids need you to live for Christ now. Our town needs us to live for Christ now. Our nation needs us to live for Christ now. It's not time for us to be just going through the motions. I watch a lot of sports. A lot of sports. And, and, and I watch my boy play, and I watch my daughters play. And, and you'll see they go through two or three quarters, and it's like they're just going through the motions. Well, I mean, it's not just my kids, but it's, just, it's, it's a lot of, you know, just going through the motions. And you get to the fourth quarter, and the time starts getting, it starts running out. You with me? And all of a sudden, the coach calls time out. Bring them together. Huddle up. We're down. We've got to do something now. It's urgent. If we don't do it now, we're going to lose. 
Get out there and press. Get out there and hustle. Get out there. Get on the floor. Get out there and do something right now or we're going to lose this game. And they come out and like a different team. And you say, where was that the whole game? Just going through the motions for three quarters and a half quarters. The last of the fourth quarter, they're going all out. Giving everything they got. They know it's about to end. And I watched them yesterday just, just, you know, running around, you know. Come on. I feel like sometimes that's what I am as a preacher. Just come on. Now's the time. We're running out of time. The clock is ticking. We're, we're approaching the last days. The very end of the last days is, is right around the corner. And we just go through the motions like nothing is going to happen. It's time for the pastor to call the church together and to huddle and say, we're running out of time. Do you have a lost parent? Tell them about Jesus. Do you have a lost sibling? Invite them to church. You have somebody that needs to hear the gospel? Invite me over for lunch and I'll do it. Peanut butter and jelly, it'll be fine. Cup of coffee. Bring them over. I'll sit down and share the gospel with them. We've got to do something today because we might not have tomorrow. That's what I'd do. If I had seven days left, you know what I'd do? I'd live for Christ. You know what else I'd do? I'd share Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. You know what that word persuade is? We win them over. Knowing that the day is approaching, we ought to be persuading men to turn to Jesus. Get right with Christ. That's what I would tell you today. If I knew this was the last sermon I'd ever preach, I'd say, get right with Christ. If this was the last sermon I'd preach, I'd say, run to Him by faith as fast as you can. If this is the last sermon I'd ever preach, I'd say, confess your sin to Him. Tell Him you know that you're a sinner and that your sin is deserving of eternal punishment in hell. Tell Him that. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin and He will forgive you because He died on the cross to pay for those sins. That no man who's ever come to Jesus and asked Him to forgive them of their sin has He ever turned away and said no. Yes. Come to Jesus and ask Him. He will. You can get right with Him today. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. Do it now. Now's the time. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to, to save you. Come to Jesus and, and run to Him by faith and, and get right with Christ. I urge you today. I beg you today. I plead with you today. If I could, I'd come and get you in your pew and, and say, please, turn to Jesus. I would tell you to do it now. A delay is costly. That if you wait till tomorrow, it could be too late. That every second counts. Eternity is too long to be wrong. Do it now. And I would tell you, I added this last night. Last thing on my notes. As I was sitting there thinking in my, my, my little desk. It's a school desk that my kids sit in because you can imagine me sitting in it. And I'm sitting there in that little desk and I said, what would I, what would I tell people if there's not saved sitting in church today? That's my last page of notes. What would I say to people sitting in our pews who are not saved? This is the last time I ever got a chance to talk to him. I'd tell him to get right with Christ. I said that. Run to him by faith. 
I was just writing this out last night. Confess your sin. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. I would tell them to do it now, right now. If I had seven days left, this is what I'd tell everybody. Do it right now. I'd want to go out not, not happy and fat. I'd want to go out preaching the gospel. And then I would tell them, and I had to look this up, I found it, that it's worth it. It's not worth it to live for this world that's passing away. It's worth it to live for Christ. And I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon that I'd found a while back, and and here's what it says. And I'm going to close with this, and and I I will, after I I read this quote, I, I urge you, please come to Christ. And church, please live for Christ. But here's what it says. You guys know Charles Spurgeon is my favorite. He says, if, if a man had to wade breast deep through a thousand hells to come to Christ, it would be well worth the venture. If at the end he might say, my beloved is mine and I am his, it would be worth it. So I urge you today to come to Christ. Find forgiveness of sin. Find salvation. Come to Him and be saved. You know there's somebody in here who's an unbeliever. Do it today before it's too late. You may not have next Sunday. This might be the last sermon you ever hear, the last chance you ever get, and God is urging and pleading and saying, come to Christ and be saved. May you do that today before it's too late. Don't risk eternity on a few more days. Let's live like today's the last day. Let's live for Christ, and unbelievers, please come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I know this is a challenging passage for us to study today as it shows us what it will be like to live in the last days. I thank you that your word promises us that we'll be out of here for this. But I think there's truth for us that we need to be living with urgency. That we need to be aware of what's going on in the world, but we need to be ready. That we need to be on the spot. We need to be people who are living like it, 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 you could come back at any second. So God, I, I pray that you would stir our hearts. That was my, my prayer at the beginning, motivating. This is a motivational sermon. Moving people to act. Moving people to live. And people, and by people I mean me. I need to live with urgency. I need to live with that sense of now, today. Help me to do that. And God, help us have a church that does that. Please, God, motivate us. As we're living in, not the very last days, but we're living in the last days. So God, help us, please. And I pray for anybody in here who's an unbeliever that you'd open their eyes and open their ears, open their hearts that they would turn to you by faith. That they would see, God, that it has to be urgent now. We never know what's around the corner. There may be people in this room who won't be around next Sunday. Please, let them get things right today. Let them run to Christ and be saved. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.